Man, it is great to see everybody today. You doing all right today? It's great to see you. We are in week four of Build. Everybody, week four of Build. And what we have been talking about as a church is moving from here. We are in the process of building a new campus. Many of you know this, but just catching everybody up on North 259. We have 49 acres. We have a project underway. We had paused it during COVID and we're getting that rolling again. And so we've been talking about that. And, and more than that, the, the messages, I feel like the way the Lord has given me these messages. So if you're a guest today, like lean in, it, 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 something will help you. But, but I have a message that I, I want to speak today and I have every week, just not just talked about the stuff, but tried to bring a message. But the way the Lord gave me the messages, it's really like a journey that we're taking together spiritually. And so I want to encourage you. I know a lot of times, um, you know, when we talk about Bill, we got to talk about money and that kind of stuff. People just kind of are tempted to be like, oh, I'll be glad when this is over. But there's such an opportunity in this moment. So don't miss that. And don't miss the messages because they apply to a lot more than a building or finances or anything like that, okay? So lean in and take the journey with us. But we are talking about how we move from here to there. And uh, we're all ready to move. And uh, we have, if you're a guest, we have uh, a we're in the process of, of about a $10 million project. Uh, we have about $5 million paid for that, that uh, has been paid for by the grace of God and the generosity of people of faith. And uh, we have no debt on any of that. It's just been done, and so God's been faithful. But we're about halfway there, and we're living on a prayer. Come on, Bon Jovi. And so uh, the great psalmist, everybody, the great psalmist. And, uh, and so... Um, so anyways, so we're talking about that. And so we've been talking about how can we get from here to there. And we talked about what our, our next steps are. And so I want to show you what our next steps are. We want to do this in the next 12 months. And again, I'm not going over everything every week, but you can go back and all the, like the, the whole, like, I feel like tour guide Barbie. I only, I'm, I don't look like Barbie and I have a beard. But anyways, um, <laughs> bless it. Just pray for me. Um, but, um, but, but you can go back, and we left all the information on each of the beginning of the weeks. And so, but um, this, these are our next steps. We have to install a bridge, uh, complete a sewer line out the north side of the property, and uh, finish all of our, our road, parking, asphalt. All of that will mitigate water runoff and all that. It would be good storm water. And then to dry in the building, which means it wouldn't be finished on the inside, but it would be finished on the outside, is this. So, so the total of all that, what we'd like to get done in the next 12 months is, is $2 million, and, and that's above the operations of the church. And so the question then becomes, well, how do, how do we do that? Well, we actually, it's not a theory. We have a proven way to do that, and we've proven it because we did it the first time, and it worked. And so, so I'm not, not just like making this up as I go, but this is actually something we did that worked. And so I gave everybody a card. Now, we talked about this last week, but we need to talk about it again this week because I know um, people are in and out, and sometimes they're here at this service. Sometimes they miss a week, weekend, whatever. Sometimes they're online. Sometimes I never know where you guys are. I'm just glad you are wherever you are and because uh, <laughs> wherever you are, that's where you're at, all right? And so um, these are the jokes, people. So... Uh, <laughs> So we gave everybody a card. Now, here's, here's what I'm asking. So BUILD is a 12-month commitment. So it's really kind of February through the end of January of next year. And I'm asking every person in our church to go on this 12-month commitment with me. I'm, I'm doing it as well. Um, and what we're asking is, God, what do we do over the next 12 months? 
and really in addition to what we've been doing, right? If we just do what we've been doing, we will, we will pay all the bills and that will be wonderful. But uh, we, need, we need to build the building. And, um, and so I'm asking all the Pathway people, all my Pathway people to go with us on this journey and for a number of reasons, right? And, you know, we, we need a building because this one's, it's just ineffective and inefficient and just about every way. Every, every pastor, consultant, I have friends who consult churches all over the nation, those type of things, they can never understand how we've done what we've done with this building. And I don't mean just like put lights in it. Like, how did you get that many people to come? How have you gotten this far? Because it's it's temporary. It's it's in a strip center. It's it's you know blah 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 blah. They can tell you all the reasons why this doesn't work, except it did, right? And so and so, but for me, here's the real reason to build. It is true. We spend an astronomical amount of money in leases. You know, over a hundred thousand dollars a year in leases, just because paying for facilities uh, that we don't own. But, but for me, here's, here's what this is really all about. Really, when, when God spoke to me about this church um, 13, 14 years ago, he gave me Exodus 25, 8, build a place where I can dwell among them. Let them build a place where I can dwell among them. And for me, what the whole thing is about is what happened in this room and what is happening in this room. But when we were worshiping and the presence of God was here, and we were encountering the presence of God. And we brought people and the presence of God together. That's all I'm trying to do. And I'm just trying to do it for more people. Amen. That's what we're trying to do. And we're trying to do it for more people. Right? Because we know how much God's changed us in this room. And, and so that's really what it is. It's a 12-month commitment where we're saying, God, in addition to what I've been doing, what do you want me to do? And so this to me is one of my favorite tools because I believe in next steps and I believe in discipleship, right? And, and so if you'll look at this card, I'm asking every family to fill a card out. And, and here's what I would say. Even if you're sitting here, even if, and, and I don't mean this is a bad way, but you're like, you know, pastor, I'll, I'm just never, I've, maybe I've hurt, been hurt in church. Maybe I just don't like pastors talking about money. I mean, I, I've heard as a pastor, I've heard it all. You can't come up with something I haven't heard. I promise you. Um, you can come up with a testimony I haven't heard. Amen. If you walk in obedience to God, because I hear new ones every day. I mean, this weekend, Kate was leading worship. Yeah. And um, it wasn't that many months ago where I, I remember I was at the gym when Mark called and he said, they're life flight and cake to Dallas. And I said, I, I'm, let me get home and shower. I'll be on the way. Um, and he said, it's about a 50% chance of survival. And I, I remember that phone call. And I remember driving to Dallas and praying. And she was pregnant with Levi. She's 27 weeks pregnant. They had to do emergency C-section. But today, Levi's doing great and Kate was leading worship. Because God's still on the throne, somebody. I got a testimony this week from someone that we a few weeks ago, we prayed for migraines. They had had migraines very frequently, painfully. And uh, since that time, it's been two weeks and they haven't had a migraine. And so, so you can come up with a testimony I haven't heard, but you can't come up with an excuse I haven't heard. I promise you. I have heard some, some I've heard them. But even if you're here and you're like, you know, Pastor, I just don't believe churches, you know, should take an offering. And I mean this with all due respect. You're sitting on a, a seat somebody else paid for in an air conditioner, somebody else paid for listening to a sound system that somebody else paid for. 
hearing a message from a pastor that somebody else paid for. So you just, I don't know, you know, I heard a pastor say, where, where would you go to a restaurant, eat a good meal and leave and not pay? Why does it only make sense to do that in church? Those are his words, not mine. I would never say something like that. <laughs> never. But even if you don't intend to do anything, listen, you are welcome here. If you never give a dollar, you're welcome here because we have faithful people who love you and they love people who have yet to been reached. Um, and you're welcome here if you never give a dollar. And we're not going to make you feel bad. Like we're not sending Guido to your house, okay? <laughs> like, you're welcome here. You really are genuinely. Um, and we mean that. And I don't need anything from you. Our church doesn't need anything from you. But there is something I want for you. And I really want, I want people to experience the, God, the presence of God like we did, but I want you to have testimonies like, like I have and like other people have shared with me when they see God move. So this is one of my favorite things, this commitment card. And I, and I, I didn't say this, but so even if you're here and you're a pathway person, you're like, I, I'm not going to give anything, Pastor. That's okay, but would you fill this out anyway and just let us know? You just put, you know, I'm not giving anything. And, because, and here's why. Our elder team has to make decisions. So we have to know what, what God has spoken to you because we don't, we don't, you know, I know God answers an email, but he doesn't tell us what you're going to do. You know, it's like, so, you know, the cheesy God answers an email. Okay. Whew. Tough crowd today. These are my best jokes. I'm just kidding. All right. So, anyway. so but I just need ever I need to hear from everyone in our family. I'm filling one out. You know, the team, everybody, we're all elders. We're all filling them out. Because we just have to make decisions. So no matter what you're putting on here, just fill it out so we know. But every family, there's about 400 and something families in our church. And we just need about 400 of these cards. But here's how you fill this out. Here's what I want you to do. They're going to put it on the screen. So, so the first section of this, hopefully we don't have to cover this. But if you turn one in that says, John Doe, I will come to your house. <laughs> I'll straight up, yes. Anyways, <laughs> of course, I won't be able to find you because you'll be at one, two, three, four church drive. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but the next part to me is, is such a great visual understanding because discipleship is step by step. We follow Jesus step by step. And sometimes we learn to give step by step. And so this is the giving. We call it the giving ladder. But everyone starts here. Everyone's a, a potential giver is someone that you have a job, but you've never given for whatever reason. Maybe you just never thought about it. God never felt, you never felt like God led you, never asked God. Maybe you had a bad experience. I don't know what it is, but you're a potential giver, meaning you, you, have, you have a job, you have resources, but you, you don't give anything. And, and we don't condemn you for that. That's just where we all start, right? Everybody starts right there. An emerging giver is a person that gives more sporadically. It's not really consistent, not a certain amount, not a certain time. Just here and there, whatever prompts that, and you give. That's an emerging giver. A consistent giver is someone that gives um, a consistent amount at a certain time. Maybe you give $200 a month, or maybe you give $200 a paycheck, or whatever. It's a, it's a consistent gift, you know, when you figure it monthly, but it's not what we would call a tithe. Now, let's talk about a tithe. A tithe is according to the Bible. These are not Pastor Marty's words. Pastor Marty did not invent the tithe. Don't kill the messenger, okay? <laughs> Keep your tomato in your pocket, all right? But the tithe giver, but when we, when we give the tithe, what the Bible says the tithe is, is the first 10% of all of your increase, okay? The first 10%. 
Now, why tenth? The word tithe means tenth. Because I've had people say, well, I don't, I don't give a tenth, but I give a tithe. You, you can't actually do that according to the Bible. I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. But again, if we want to live according to the Bible, it's the first 10% of your increase. People say, well, gross or net? Well, your increase is gross. Right? And so I've always, just telling you what I do, I always tithe on the gross. And I tithe on the gross of anything. If I get any, any increase whatsoever, that's what I tithe on. And so it's the first 10%, and it has to be given first, not last. And this is all what the Bible says, right? So I'm just telling you that. And, and the Bible says we, we don't actually give the tithe. We use giver just to make it consistent. But we don't actually give the tithe. We bring it because according to the Bible, the tithe belongs to the Lord. So it is his, so you can't give him something that's his. You can return it or you cannot return it, but you can't give it, right? Just like, and I told you this last week, if you borrowed my truck, you know, and you brought it back to me, you wouldn't say, Pastor, I, I'm going to give you this truck because it's my truck. That'd be weird. Pastor, I got a great gift for you. What? I'm going to give you your truck. It's my truck, Right? You can return it, you can bring it, but you can't give it. And really, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is where I would like everybody at Pathway to get to. And I'm going to tell you why. Because this is where God wants everybody at Pathway to get to. This is where God wants everybody to get to. And that's because it's the Bible, right? I'm just, this, that's what God wants for you. Because right here, think about this. This is what he said when I get here. We talked about last week, there's some things God wants to do in and for you. And when we get here, according to the Bible, he rebukes the devourer. And he opens the windows of heaven and pours out blessings. There's not room enough to receive. Now, see, we all want the devour rebuked. And we all want the blessings. There's not room enough to receive. But there's really, according to the Bible, only one way to do that. And it's to become a, a tithe giver. And so this person, they became a tithe giver. Now, this is where Pastor Marty lives. He lives at, at an extravagant giver. This is, a, this, is where it's, this is where you feel it. This is where you feel it. In fact, I was talking with God because God and I have some goals. And so um, I haven't always been a pastor. There was a time that I wasn't. There was a time that I, I made more money than, than I currently make. And, and so some of you might understand that. You, some of you may feel that way. But I know what it's like to write a $10,000 check and give it away. I know what it's like to write a $20,000 check and give it away. God and I have a goal. I want to write a million-dollar check. Now, I don't know how in the world that can happen as a pastor, but I've never been guilty of not making a goal. But this is just where I'm at. I'm like, God, this is, this is what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to give large amounts of money. And, and because of that, I never give just a tithe. I'm always over a tithe. And I can tell you what I'm going to give in the next 12 months. I won't give you the amount, but I felt like the Lord, I, I feel like it's important for you to know that I'm not, I'm not telling you something I don't do. In fact, I've done this my whole life, right? None of this is new to me. I've been an extravagant giver as long as I've been um, really forever forever in a day, right? I, I remember years ago, my dad was a pastor. I don't know why I'm telling this story, but I remember years ago, my dad was a pastor, and I was working in the clothing industry. That meant I, sell, I sold clothes. And, uh, and so, and uh, no, I was not a model. <laughs> Zoolander, maybe, but anyways. Um, but I never forget, I never forget um, we were in church and my dad invited a ministry 
that helped boys, wayward boys, get their lives on track. And, uh, and they were sharing as a boys' home, and they were sharing at the church, in a small church. And I remember they took an offering at the end, and I was sitting by my brother. And, uh, and I remember thinking, now I was tithing back then. I was, I don't know, maybe 19 years old, and, and I was tithing. And, uh, and I remember praying, and I looked at my check, check register, and I had a hundred and something dollars left. And, and I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to, to give a hundred dollars. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give a hundred dollars. And I leaned over my brother. Now he was working in IT at the time and he was writing a thousand dollar check. And I just said, Lord, I want to write a thousand dollar check. I just remember saying that. And I remember my brother, even without prompting, just leaned over and he said, it's not the amount, it's the heart. And, and I remember that day I said, I'm going to write a $1,000 check. As about four years later, I wrote a $2,000 check above my tithe. Because God had, God had, it's a long story, but God had allowed me to buy a car and turn around and sell it. And I made uh, $4,000 on the, on, the, on the sale of the car. And God, and I tithed and thought I was doing good. And then God said, I want you to write me a $2,000 check. But I remember as much as it hurt, because it's basically all the money I'd just made. <laughs> as much as it hurt, I remembered how one day I said, God, I want to write a $1,000 check. And I remembered how I was getting to write not a 1000 but a $2,000 check. So then I said, God, I want to write a $10,000 check. And I've written several $10,000 checks. And I've written $20,000 check. And now I'm like, God, I want to write a $100,000 check. And, and I want to get to a million dollars. And, and because this is where I want to live, because I've seen, I, I can't tell you what I've seen, right? And that's what I know in this room is the people that live at Tithe and Extravagant Giver, I could line them up and they'd just start telling stories about what God has done. And ultimately, hear me when I say, hear me when I say, I really, I don't want anything from you. I don't need anything from you. And that's not arrogant to say. That's just you got to understand. Just like I would teach you about relationships or, or trusting God or, or whatever, you know, sin and righteousness and faith and grace, just like I would teach you that because I know how it changes your life. That's why I want you to know. I know how this changes your life. And so, and so I'm asking everybody in our church to, to, to do this. You already know where you are. I don't, you don't, right, right now, you already know if you're a potential giver or if you're an extravagant giver, you already know where you are. Here's what I'm asking everybody to do. Ask God not where it's comfortable to be, not where you want to be, but simply ask God where does he want you to be and figure out how to get there. Now here's, I played with the math a little bit because I'm always trying to figure out how we're going to get there because unfortunately I overthink. Y'all know in the, was it Infinity War um, or the end game where Dr. Strange is going through all the scenarios and there's, do y'all remember that? That's how I live every day. I am an overthinker by nature. Like just, I mean, you can ask me the silliest thing, you know, like where you want to eat? And I'm like, <laughs> so I was playing, and, and this is why I realized we have 400 families in our church. If everyone became a tithe giver, we would, we would be pretty close on this. We'd be pretty close. Just everyone did really where God really wants us to be. And now some of you, listen, now some of you, I didn't let you off the hook. I didn't tell you that's what God said. I just told you I was playing with numbers in my mind. 
okay? Because some of you are like, oh, thank God, because I'm already a tithe giver. No, he's going to tell you to give $50,000. That's what he's going to tell you to do. <laughs> you didn't get off the hook. You still got to go pray about it because God's going to want you up here. Um, but this is what I'm asking everybody to do. I want you to pray about it, and then I want you to do exactly what God wants you to do and fill out the card. And next weekend, next weekend, we come and we bring our cards and we bring a first fruits offering. So let me talk about that. So the card we're talking about now, let me show you how this works. So this person, John Doe, became a tithe giver. So last year they, were, they gave $3,000, but they make $80,000. So a tithe, give, a tithe would be $8,000. So they've got to increase their giving by $5,000. So that's their normal. This is the additional. So now we're at a tithe. So our new normal giving is $8,000. So they have become a tither on an $80,000 household income or whatever the case may be, right? Does that make sense? That's math, right? But then we say, well, Lord, we want to bring a first fruits offering um, to, to get started, to trust you, and to believe that you're going to do more than we can ask or think. So we pray about that separately. Well, John Doe felt like the Lord said, I want you to give an additional $2,000, which would be out of your savings or stocks, assets, or whatever the case may be. And so John said, okay, I'm going to do that. So my, my new one-year, 12-month commitment is $10,000. And next weekend, John is going to bring this commitment card along with a check for $2,000. And what I'm believing God for next weekend, if we'll all do what God tells us to do, I believe we can get the bridge paid for next weekend. Amen. Just in one weekend. And we've seen God do it. So that's what I'm believing. That's what I'm trusting. But we're all going to have to go meet with God here, God, and, and do what God says. So this is how that, that works. If you have any questions or need any help, contact us, and we can explain it all to you. But this is what I'm asking everybody to do. Come next weekend with your commitment card filled out and ready, and then with your first fruits gift, whatever it is, whatever offering you're going to give first fruits, then I want you to bring that as well. And we're just going to trust God to do something amazing and, and supernatural. Okay. All right. Let me say one more thing because, and I try to say this every week. I know I have, but in a lot of churches, if you'll notice, we didn't say, well, is this a tithe? Is this general building missions, whatever? It's because um, we do one fund. So the way we're doing this is we know what the budget is. We know if our giving stays the same, the budget will be met. So the budget will be met every month, and then everything over that goes to the building. Now, maybe you've never heard it done that way, and, and I understand it's the way we do it because it works. And it's already worked, and the proof of the puddings and the eating, we have $5 million paid for, okay? So we're going to do it again because that's the way it works. Does that make sense? So you don't have to say, well, I'm giving to the building. No, everything is just to build. Everything technically is to build. Build is, is the general giving for the next 12 months. It's build. So you said, my pathway church, build. You click it on, build. Tithe and offering, build. It's all the same. It goes to build. We, we pay the bills and everything else goes to the building. It's exactly the way we did it last time and it works. Okay, but if you have any questions, we're obviously available um, for that. Amen? Amen? All right. Are you ready for God's word today? God has given a good word for us today. And I say that because not only do I know it, I preach it once, and I know it's a good word. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. And let's talk about this. Is Bill week four. Let's talk about what's going on in 1 Kings chapter 17. So, so uh, the book of Kings are really all about the kings 
of Israel and Judah. Now, there was one kingdom. David had what we would call a united kingdom of the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah. So it was just, you know, God's people, Israel, whatever. Um, And then Solomon also was over the whole kingdom. But then when Solomon passes away, he has two sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and they split the kingdom. And Jeroboam takes the northern kingdom of Israel and, and Rehoboam takes the southern kingdom of Judah and it's divided. And so then we trace through kings, we trace the kings and, and prophets over these two kingdoms. And uh, we get to about 870, 875 BC. And, we, and this prophet comes on the scene named Elijah. And he's a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. And he's going to be prophesying to, in, in what we're reading today, into this king or, or to this king named Ahab. Ahab was a horrible king. In fact, he's most notably known for marrying a Canaanite woman, which was not supposed to happen. Uh, forbidden. Her name was Jezebel, and many people have heard that name. Interestingly enough, when people are looking for baby names for their daughter, Jezebel is skipped over for some reason. I don't know why. Um, Ruth, Naomi, Deborah, Jezebel. No, mm-mm, not going to do it. Um, and so she was from Canaan, and in doing that, she brought idol worship to Israel where they worship the Canaanite god Baal, which you've probably heard, because this is about to set up. If you remember in Sunday school, if you grew up in church, the big showdown on, Mar- on Mount Carmel between Elijah and all the prophets of Baal and Asherah, right? That's coming, but it's not yet. And so uh, Baal worship and Asherah, who was the girlfriend of Baal, they are worshiped now in Israel. So God obviously has a problem with that. He has a problem with idolatry and and an idol in our lives. Because so many times we don't think it's an idol. An idol in your life is anything you look to, anything you trust in, anything you can depend on above God. Anything you put above God is an idol. And it can be a paycheck or a house or Instagram followers. I don't know. Anything you put above God is an idol. It's, it's, it's an unauthorized you know, deity, essentially, or becomes one. Uh, it's not a deity, but you understand what I'm saying. And so, so there's idol worship, and so God sends Elijah, and that's where we're going to pick it up here um, in... Uh, 1 Kings 17. And Elijah, and somebody, remember in the Bible, there's Elijah and Elisha. So I'm going to give you something from Bible school, and you won't even have to pay for the class. Because people get them confused. I'm going to help you right now. Which one comes first and which one comes second? Elijah is first. Elisha is second. The way you remember that is J comes before S in the alphabet. You're welcome. All right. That cost me thousands of dollars. I gave it to you for free. Okay. Merry Christmas. And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And we know it was three and a half years. There was a drought. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Everybody say there. there. Where are the ravens going to feed him? There. there is something to be said for being in the place that God has told you to be. 
The ravens aren't coming here. They're coming You can stay here, but you're going to starve to death because Uber Eats is going to show up, right? That's right. DoorDash is coming. The Amazon Amazon drones are going to be dropping off bread and meat. By the way, you want to know something else while we're just reading the Bible together? Um, Ravens, uh, Elijah is, is a Jew. Ravens are unclean animals. Come on. God will work through somebody you didn't think it was possible for God to work through. God will work through something that doesn't look holy at all. God loves you so much, he'll take what is unclean and make it just what you need. Then the word of the Lord said, came, good brook of Jericho, I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Verse 5, so we went and did according to the word of the Lord, for we went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and eat in the evening. Come on, Subway. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord again came to him saying, arise and go to Zarephath. Now, time out just because we're reading the Bible together. Zarephath, you know how we, we say sometimes, like I say this, I'm in the Bible belt. Do y'all ever say that? Like Longview is the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Zarephath was the belt buckle of Baal worship. Come on. Sometimes your greatest breakthrough is going to come in the darkest place. I feel like preaching, but we're just talking now. Y'all settle down. So he rose and went to to Zarephath. Oh, wait, 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 wait. He rise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell. Everybody say it. There. Where's God going to show up? Is he going to show up here? No, he's been here. He's going to show up there. See, I've commanded a widow to pride for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering six. And he called to her and said, hey, bring me some water. And she said, uh, that I may drink. And she said, well, while she was going to get it, he said, and also bring me some bread. And she said, as the Lord your God live. This is a church mama. I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar, and I'm gathering up a couple of sticks that I can go prepare for my, myself and my son that we might eat it and die. Mm. God's about to change her prognosis. And Elijah said to her, don't fear. Go and do as you said, but make a small cake for me first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord of God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, which was the word of the Lord. And she and her and her household ate for many Days And the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. We got a good word today. Today I want to talk to you about the power of faith. The power of faith. Can we pray? Holy Spirit, it is so evident that you are in this place and in this room, and we can feel and sense you. And God, right now, we want to hear you. So Lord, don't let us get out of here without hearing every word that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. The power of faith. You know, according to the Bible, uh, faith is just absolutely necessary. (laughs) Right? Faith is absolutely necessary. Think about this. The Bible says that uh, I can't walk without faith. 
because it says, 1 Corinthians 5, we walk by and not by sight. Yeah, very good. You almost read your Bible. I knew I could count on y'all. The Bible says we live by faith. Romans 1 says the just will live by In fact, John, 1 John 5 says, we win by faith. How many like to win? We win by faith because it says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith. Please understand this, that if you're going to follow God, it will constantly and consistently require faith. Not going to get around faith. We used to have a, 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 one of our elders used to say this. He would say, never going to get around faith. Always going to require faith. Faith is always going to be necessary. Whether you're walking, whether you're living, or whether you're trying to win, you will not get around faith. You're going to have to have faith. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I really just have two points. But this is a great text, I think, to see these. And that is this. The first one, write, write this down. Faith is how God works. God works through faith. Um, if you remember a few weeks ago, uh, or maybe it was last weekend, last weekend, I think I was talking about the power of partnership. And I was talking about how God designed, created us to be co-laborers. Paul calls it co-laborers with him, co-laborers. That while God is not limited in power, he is limited in principle. Meaning that God has set a principle that he will only work in partnership with man. God could split the sky today. He is powerful enough to split the sky today and come and hover over the earth and say, hello, I am God. Serve me. He is powerful enough to come and show up tomorrow morning in Washington and fix all of that. He is powerful enough to, to cure every, every uh, pandemic. He is powerful enough to do anything. He is, not, he is all power. He is not limited in power, but he is limited in principle in that in, in Genesis, when he said, let us make man and let us give him dominion over the earth. God limited himself to say, I will work only in tandem and conjunction and partnership with man. I will not work without an alliance with man. And you cannot find a place in the Bible where God did anything without working in or through or with a man or a woman. He's not limited in power, but he's limited in principle. And so I said, I said, God works through people. But as I thought about this message this weekend, really what I came to is I'm like, that statement is actually incomplete because God doesn't work through all people. God works through people of faith. Yes. Truly, God doesn't work through people. God works through people's faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our... In Hebrews chapter 11, I think it's verse 6, but it says... Without faith, it's impossible to please God because those who, who come to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of them who seek him. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so many times we read that text and we think to ourselves, this is condescending, this is condemning, this is God telling us, you better have faith. And the truth of the matter is, it's just a statement of fact. What he's saying is the way God is pleased. Now, how is God pleased when we partner with him? How is God pleased when he can work with us and in us and through us? 
How is God pleased? When we went, because see, God, my kingdom come, my will be done. God's trying to get his kingdom to come and his will to be done. So how is he pleased? Well, the only way to get the kingdom and the will of God to come and to be done is for us to partner with him. So what pleases God? Our faith allows him to work in and through us. And so here, here's what he's saying. He's like, hey, I am pleased when we can work together. I'm pleased when my kingdom and my will are done through your life. I'm pleased. But in order for us to work together, in order for my kingdom and my will to be done through your life, it means you're going to have to have faith. You're never going to get around having faith. Faith is, is the currency of heaven. And, and when, we, when we read this text, what we see are two people who are operating in faith. Two people who, who have faith. You have Elijah and the widow. Now, where did they get faith? Well, we, we know this, but just so we see it in the text, 1 Kings uh, 17 verse 8, it said, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. In other words, faith comes by hearing, the Bible says. Right? And then, and then verse 9, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow. So God spoke to Elijah and God spoke to the widow. So, so where, does, where does faith come from? Well, faith comes from hearing God. Well, this is what you need to understand. Faith is, is, in fact, I like Hebrews. It says, now faith is the substance of things. Now faith. See, faith is always now. In other words, faith is always today. Uh, you, you, faith is never in yesterday. Yesterday was where you had an opportunity to have faith. Today is the now faith. It's where faith, what is faith is always now. It wasn't then. It's now. In other words, faith is active. What, what I like about the passage is we see the widow responding to faith, but we see uh, Elijah responding in faith to the word of God. But, but what I like about it is, um, is the fact that um, had Elijah, think about this, faith, let me say it this way, faith isn't having heard, faith is hearing, because it's now, right? The word of the Lord told Elijah to go to Cherith by the brook, and he said, I've commanded the ravens to feed you there, Right? But then the brook dried up. Why did the brook dry up? Well, was, you know, famine, all that, no rain. And then God said, now go to Zarephath because there's a widow who'll provide for you there. Did you see God move there? There was here, but now there is not here. There is there. There was at the brook, but now there's in Zarephath. Had Elijah just heard and not kept hearing? He would have stayed at a dried up brook praying for rain. And there are a lot of people, I'll say it with a smile. Because there are a lot of people at a dried up brook still praying for rain because you haven't heard that God moved the place called there. You're staying at a dried up brook praying for rain because you have heard God, but God is needing you to hear him today. And just because the brook is dry does not mean God is not moving. It in fact means you probably need to move. Because a lot of times the brook dries up 
And we start telling God, you stopped moving. God's like, no, I moved. The problem is you didn't. The ravens aren't coming anymore. The brook is dried up. Sometimes the best thing God can do in your life is dry up a brook. Because if God doesn't drive up that brook, you'll never hear. Listen, a dried up brook will drive you back to him. See, the problem is we are um, inclined towards comfort. Anybody else feel this way? I like comfort. Does anybody else like comfort? Like massage chairs, air conditioned seats. If you're a big boy, you don't understand the blessing of an air conditioned seat in August in Texas. Some of you little girls, you don't understand that. Because you missed or you glisten. No, I sweat, okay? And, and if you let me in a car with an air-conditioned seat, I will feel like the Holy Ghost is moving. I'll say, Jesus. <laughs> if you were not raised Pentecostal, you have no clue what that just meant right there. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we are inclined towards comfort. Let me say it another way. We find comfort in what we understand. God is inclined towards faith, which is not understood yet, which is uncomfortable. And so in our lives, wouldn't it be great if we could just set that on cruise control? Right? You know, set your, your, yeah. do y'all have one of those cruise controls that like attaches like a laser beam to the car in front of you? And like if it slows down, you slow down. If it speeds up, you speed up. Do y'all have one of those? I have one of those. It's amazing. <laughs> I love that thing because I can go to sleep once I turn that thing on. <laughs> and because and my car will beep and stuff if I get outside. So I don't even have to drive it anymore. It's the greatest thing. Um, sometimes I just get in the back and, uh, <laughs> Y'all won't go for a drive? Anyways, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but I think sometimes we think our relationship with God is supposed to be, like after we get to a certain point, we just kind of lock it in, and it just sits on cruise control, and we just kind of stay the same distance from God, and we just kind of follow God. But that's not the way it is. And, and what happens about the time we get comfortable, God drives a brook up. And we're like, well, God, I was trusting you. I was praying. I was believing you. And he's like, yes, you were believing, but I need you to believe. You had faith, but faith is always now. Faith is active. And faith is never found in your understanding. If you understand, it is not faith. Faith is the requirement when you don't understand. So in your maturity with God... God, since faith is always a requirement for God to work through your life, he will constantly and consistently dry up brooks and change locations because the people of faith, the people of faith are the people that stay sensitive to the voice of God because faith comes by hearing, not having heard. And the people that will allow God to, that the people that 
will allow God to move them around and dry up brooks and change up things and keep them in a place of faith, meaning about the time you understand, God asks you to move. And the time you figure it out, God dries up a brook. And the time you figure it out, God does something else. Because God only works through faith. And I can tell you the one place or the two places or the three places in your life. Do you know where God is working? If, if God is working in your life today, you want to know where it is? It's the place you don't understand where you have to have faith. The places you understand where faith is not required, God is not working in those places. I'm not saying he hasn't worked. I'm not saying he's mad about it. I'm saying if you want to find where God is trying to work in your life, find the place where faith is required. Because faith is how God works. And so God is going to keep us in a place where faith is required. (laughs) He's going to dry up brooks. Here's the second thing. God works through our faith, but here's what you need to understand. Faith requires something of us. Faith requires something of us. You know, it, it really isn't faith until we do something. Amen. James, James said it this way. He said, uh, James chapter 2, he said, so, you know, you, you show me your faith without your works. In other words, with what you do. I'll show you my faith by what I do. Because he said, faith without a corresponding action or activity is dead. And then he says something that's kind of graphic, but it's a good picture. He said, just as a body without a spirit is dead, faith without works is dead. So what is a body without a spirit? We would call that a corpse. Because it's a place where it's a, it's, a, it's a container where a spirit used to be. And he's saying faith without works, check this out, is a corpse. I think there may be some Christians who have a corpse where faith used to be. Because I heard and I did and then I sat. I heard and I did and then I relaxed. I got comfortable. I heard and I did and then I sat down on my blessed insurance and said, I'll let the next generation take it for a while. Amen. Right? And and really what we have, because faith is action and activity and work and corresponding behaviors, activities, and actions and things. What we actually have, some people, some people are gathered around a corpse saying, look at my faith. And everybody else is saying, yeah, but it hadn't moved in a long time. Because faith, listen, faith is, is activity. What you see here is Elijah and the widow, and they are both actively obeying 
Because say faith without works, what's the work? Well, what do I need to do? Well, here's the simple thing, what God says. And what do we call that? Obedience. So the work, uh, the work that faith does is obedience. The way that faith is seen is through obedience. Faith is not seen by what I post on Instagram. Faith is seen by what I do. Let me say it another way that's kind of hip. Because you know that's how I am. I'm so hip. Um, Faith isn't seen by its swagger. It's seen by its sweat. Faith isn't seen by the post or the bumper sticker or the cool merch. Faith is seen by the sweat. Elijah has to walk a hundred miles to go from Cherith to Zarephath because that was the word of the Lord. The widow had to go gather the sticks and the oil and the flour to cook bread she wasn't even going to eat. Faith isn't seen by the swagger. It's seen by the sweat. The the problem is, and and I want to say this kindly, (laughs) the problem is we, we, in our culture, we think sweat's a bad thing. Because we have a culture that's like super entitled. And unfortunately, because the world has taught you that you should just have a free education or you should just get paid to stay at home, we brought that into the church and say, well, God, you're just supposed to do everything good for me because I'm me. But the truth of the matter is, <laughs> got quiet in this uh, Catholic church, didn't it? I tell you right now. But the truth of the matter is, the life of faith is, is a life of sweat. It's, it's not entitlement. That, that it is actually our obedience in response to God. So God speaks, we respond in obedience. That's what opens up the provision of God and what God wants to do. And you can sit at the brook all day long that's dried up and tell God you shouldn't have to sweat and you shouldn't have to trust and he should just turn the water back on. But it's not the way God works. And here's two reasons why. God needs you to sweat. Number one, for you. Like we, we my concern is there's a, worth, a work ethic that I saw in my grandparents, my parents, that, that I was taught that we don't see anymore. You know, like, Showing up on time with a good attitude, working as hard as you can, doing as well as you can. Now it's like, you know, I've talked to a lot of business owners, like, I can't even get people to show up. Like, I'm willing to pay them and I can't get people to show up. So, so part of this is God teaching us to show up and he's building us a character and a nature and he's strengthening. You know, I go to the gym and I've found a lot of times, in fact, every time I go to the gym, I seem to sweat. I saw Josh at the gym the other day and he was putting, putting weights on his, on his machine and I said, hey, if you'll take the weights off, it's easier. <laughs> Don't put those weights on, that'll make you sweat. 
Come on, CNC Music Factory. <laughs> Everybody dance now. Um, I'm sorry. It was just a moment. Flashback, 90s kid. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> but, but the truth of it is, God just keeps stacking weights on because he wants you to sweat, because he wants you to win, because he wants you to get stronger so you can win. The other side of that is it is through our sweat that God is able to work with us and change the world around us. I don't think the widow's life would have been changed if Elijah would have stayed at the brook. So sometimes God makes us sweat for the people around us. Sometimes God makes us sweat for us. Think about this. Had Elijah stayed at the brook and not gone on the 100-mile run to Zarephath, He'd have starved and the widow would have starved. I'm just telling you, faith is seen in the sweat, not in the swagger. You can buy all the merch you want, but at some point you're actually going to have to believe what's on the front of that t-shirt. Amen. Buy all the sweatshirts you want, but at some point you're going to have to live that Bible verse. But it's in living it that you see the power of God. You know, what else is, is awesome about this text is when, when God asks us to be obedient, he only asks us for what he knows we can do. God will never ask you to do something you can't. Isn't that so good? Let me say it another way. God will not ask you for something you don't have. Yeah. Like, Elijah didn't come to this widow and say, you know, I would like a filet and a twice-baked potato with some bacon-wrapped asparagus. <laughs> Everybody's like, I'm hungry, preacher. Sorry, I probably shouldn't have talked about that. I would like a kale salad. <laughs> what the kale? Come on, people. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> kale salad. Is that even legal? Dear God. But he asked for bread. Why? Because she had oil and flour. What's interesting is when he asked for bread, she said, I don't have bread. I have oil and flour. Here's the great thing about God. He inventories what you have differently than you do. Because we look and say, I don't have. And God's like, yeah, you do. There's some people like, well, I want to give God, but I don't have. And God's going to say, well, you could cancel Netflix. Like it's, you don't have to have Netflix. I know I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Mess some people up. But it's interesting. You remember the widow, it's Elisha um, in the next, in second Kings there's a widow whose sons are about to be sold to satisfy her debts. And, and she says, I need a miracle. And Elisha says, what's in your house? And she says, nothing except a little oil. And Elisha says, well, that's the miracle. No, it's a little oil. No, that's the miracle. I'm telling you right now, some of you have been overlooking your miracle and it's right under your bed. <laughs> because God inventories. Because here's the problem. We think in terms of harvest and God thinks in terms of seed. And if you don't have what you need, I'll promise you have the seed. 
because it's the way God works. And the miracle is actually in your house right now. It just doesn't look like it. It's just not full grown. Because God established a principle. And the principle is whatever man sows, that will he reap. Well, I just don't experience joy. Sow joy. I just don't ever have friends. Be one. I'm just, I just don't ever experience peace. Sow peace. I don't have finances. Sow finances. I never get grace from people. Be gracious to them. Whatever a man sows. Jesus even said, give and it will be given. Good measure, press down, shake together, run over. Men call what he calls men to give to. Here's what Jesus said. What you need, you give it. And it comes back more than what you gave. This is not something I made up because we're building a building. This is something that's been in the word of God that I've lived my entire life. I always understand for whatever I need. And and God and I were talking about some things the other day. And I said, God, I really need this. And God said, you have the seed. I remember um, about a year ago, God said, I want to do something in your finances. I said, great. And God said, so increase your giving. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And then he said, put $100 bills in your pocket and give them to who I say. Now, when was the increase coming, Jesus? When, when, Lord, could I just get a tracking number for it, Jesus? Is it stuck on a container ship out there, Jesus? Because I will get me a kayak and a, and, a, and a torch. You know what I'm saying? I will go. But here's what he's saying. No, I, I want to do something great but I've given you everything you need to get there. It's just going to take a little sweat. It's just going to take a little faith. The miracle, let me tell you right now, the miracle is in your house. It's just you don't see it the way God sees it. Um, the other thing about this that was amazing to me, you talk about faith and, and the miracle in your house, just kind of like what I was laughing about. And, and sharing, we were laughing together like, okay, God, you know, I, I want to do something. Okay, all right, God, do something. Okay, increase your giving. Okay. See, we have to go first. Yeah. Elijah told the widow, bring me the cake first. Now, wouldn't it have been nice if he would have said, I tell you what, you just start pouring oil and flour and you're going to have all the cake in the world. And once you've had all you need, then you come bring me some cake. But see, it doesn't take faith to give last. It takes faith to give first. When it, when it comes to what we call the tithe, that we've been talking, the first 10% of our increase, do you know why the tithe is given first? Because it doesn't take faith to give it last. Did you know 10% given last is not a tithe? That's right. It's 10% given. It's a great offering. But the tithe has to be first. And do you know, do you know why? Because that's the rule God made. Like no preacher made that rule. In fact, can I, let me show you this. We got time. Y'all got time to be blessed? Yes. Please. Let me show you something to change your life. Exodus 13. 
Now, Exodus 13, 1 says that the first is always the Lord's. Same thing Leviticus, I think, 27 says, the first is the Lord's. The tithe is the Lord's, okay? But Exodus 13, this is the principle of it, the principle of first. And, and it's, when I read this, your eyes are going to roll back like, what in the world is this man talking about? But if you will stay with me, I will help you, okay? And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall not set, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey, now just hang on. Every firstborn of a donkey you will redeem with a lamb, and if you do not redeem it, you will break its neck, and all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Now, God is establishing a principle. This is where we see in the Bible. Now, the first place we actually see it is before the creation of the world. I'll come back to that in just a minute. But this is where it's first spelled. And then we actually see it in the garden, but this is where it's spelled out. And this is the principle of the first, that the first belongs to the Lord. So here's what he said. He, he's, he's, let me break it down. L- lamb, sheep, they are clean animals. Donkey are unclean animals. Okay, what he said is the firstborn is always the Lord's, right? So the first is mine. And then he said this, because he can only receive the clean. He said, the firstborn of the lamb is mine. The firstborn of a donkey, an unclean animal, has to be redeemed by a clean animal, but it's still mine. And then he said, if you don't redeem it, you break its neck. Now, Pastor, what does this have to do with anything? Let me explain a couple things. Number one, it has to do with Jesus. He was the firstborn. He was the clean, spotless Lamb of God who was given first before the foundation of the world, slain for you and I to redeem the unclean. The reason the tithe is so personal to God is because it's Jesus. He was the first. He was given in faith before he knew what you all have a choice to receive him or not. So he gave him before anybody said yes. Before anybody surrendered their lives, God gave the savior of the world. So he was the first and he was the clean and he was given to redeem us. But now he's talking about personal wealth, which is livestock. So there's the picture of Jesus. And here's what he's saying. If it's your first, you give the first to the Lord. Now let's talk about the, the, the donkey because he said, if you don't redeem it, how do I redeem it? Give the first. But if I don't redeem it, I have to break its neck. What does that mean? I lose it. So here's what he said. You can't keep the first. You can return it, redeem it, or you can lose it, but you can't keep it. Now here's the number one testimony I've heard from people start tithing. I didn't think I could afford it, but it worked out just fine. Do you know what I always say? It's because you don't get to keep the tithe anyway. You either bring it or you lose it. So it will have, actually, it will have no impact on your finances because you're, if you're not tithing, you're already losing it because it's supernatural. Don't ask me how it works. Supernatural. That's why every time someone stepped up and said, I'm going to start tithing, they're like, this has been amazing. I never thought we could do this. I'm like, it's principle principle. It belongs to the Lord. And when you redeem it, it redeems everything you have. And when you don't redeem it, you're going to lose it anyway. 
So you can give the first 10% to God or you can give it to the auto repair shop. (laughs) You can give it to the plumber, the electrician, whatever. But you're either going to redeem it or you're going to lose it. It takes faith to give the first. Now let me try to boil this down. Let me tell you something. When we read this text, Most people reading this text read it as though this. God sent Elijah to the widow to take care of Elijah. When truthfully, God sent Elijah to the widow to take care of the widow. Remember how she said, as surely as the Lord God, and I said, she's a church mama. Jesus said it this way, in the days of Elijah, there were many widows, but Elijah was sent to only one. See, God had already proven he could provide for Elijah in the most creative of ways. Ravens bombing food. So God didn't need the widow to take care of Elijah. God needed Elijah to take care of the widow. Because Elijah was the opportunity for the widow to sweat in faith just a little bit. See, I'm going I'm to tell you something God told me, and, and you can you, you receive it however you want to. It doesn't, doesn't offend me. Next weekend, we're going to take an offering, and we're going to bring our commitments. Here's what I need you to understand from the Lord. God does not need you to build that building. He doesn't need me. We've already seen crazy stuff. We've already seen miracles that, that is just crazy. <clears throat> Next weekend is not about you providing for a building. Next weekend is about what God wants to do through that building to provide for you. And that's the truth of it. That next weekend is an opportunity to gather some sticks and look in our cupboards and say, God, what do you have in here that you can use? Like some of you may have a boat. You haven't been in that boat in a year and it's time to sell that boat. I think I told you last time we did this, people people sold houses to be able to do what God had asked them to do. People change their budgets around. That's what I'm having to do. I've got to change. The only way to get to where I've got to get to is I've got to change my budget. But what I realize is, oh God, you want to do something in, in, in my world. I'm going to have another testimony. I'm going to have another story. And yeah, I'm going to sweat just a little bit. But that's okay because that's where you're working. But... Next week, when I bring my offering and I bring my my commitment, it's not because God needs me to provide for that building. It's because God's using that building to provide for me. And I think that's what God's telling everybody. And you do with it what you want, but don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) 
I'm telling you, I think God wants to do something incredible in our lives. And all I'm asking you, listen, I don't know if I told you this, but I, I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you that uh, not the amount that I'm giving, but just to put it on a scale, everybody to understand. He told me to tell you this, just so you know, I'm going first, but I've already made my commitment. And what I'm going to give in 12 months will buy a car, a nice car. And I'm not wealthy. Many of you have more money than I do. Trust me. But it's just what God asked me to do. And I have two kids that need a car, and it probably doesn't thrill them to understand <laughs> that I'm giving away a car. <laughs> um, but that's what, I, that's what God put on my heart. And, and what I know is he'll take care of the rest. And all I'm asking all of us to do, here's what I'm saying is, let's sweat a little bit. And let's see what God does. That's the power of faith. Amen. Amen. Come on. Can you give Jesus a hand today? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to ask our, our uh, prayer team to go ahead and come to the front. And, and um, we'd love to pray for anyone who has a prayer need, no matter what that is. We want to pray for you. Also, if you're in this room today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not asking if you've been to church. I'm not asking if you've ever been a member of church, sang on a worship team or in a choir. I'm not asking that. I'm saying, do you have a relationship with Jesus? An active, up-to-date, close relationship, with God, a good relationship with Jesus, not a bad one, a good one. And if you don't, we want to pray with you. And you can come at the end. And then anyone who needs prayer for anything can come in just a minute. We want to pray with you. But everyone else, I just want to pray just a moment before we get out of here and say, God, I just pray for all of us, Lord, that we would hear your voice so that we could walk in faith. God, help us to hear you just so we can trust you, so we can obey and ultimately, God, so we can see you move. But God, we want to hear you. God, I just pray you'd, you'd speak to every person. If you haven't already, God, I pray they wouldn't leave today without a word from you. God, that you would speak to us, that we would hear. And then, God, we would just walk it out. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that does not have a relationship with you, that you would draw them. And in just a minute, they would come to the front and, and they would talk to one of our um, very safe, wonderful prayer team uh, members and just say, hey, I, 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 need, I need a relationship with Jesus. God, I just thank you today because you move us from faith to faith, from glory to glory. God, you're always working now. Help us to find where you're working now and line up our hearts and lives with it and just trust you with the rest. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Listen, I love you. You're wonderful. You're amazing. Um, if you need prayer, please come. We'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer online, you can text my pathway prayer to 77977. Everyone else, we say a big God bless you. We love you. We will see you next weekend for weekend five and big give weekend with Build.